Pentecost in October. We somewhat moved past it in, in May. We've reflected briefly on it, but now we get to press in at a different time of year. The Spirit of God comes. That's what happens next in the story to the faithful who are gathered together, who are searching the Scriptures, who are faithful to pray, to wait upon the Spirit, and to break bread together. God comes. God comes to those who are doubting, to those who are hurting, to those who are experiencing grief, uncertainty, and even fear. The Spirit comes. We can resonate with those first followers, those first believers, as we've looked at this story for a number of weeks, a festival happening in their city, one of the highlights of the year, the Feast of Weeks, the coming of the wheat harvest at Pentecost. So a celebration, much was happening. Music, singing, dancing, eating and drinking together in the streets. So you can excuse the hundreds for not being in that stuffy upper room and saying, we'll come with you tomorrow. But on that day, something powerful is going to happen to those 120 who did faithfully gather and to pray and to wait upon the Spirit. As Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is coming not many days from now, Acts 1.5. Then he said, when he comes, you will receive power to be my witnesses unto the ends of the earth. This was his promise. They took him at his word. So there they were gathering, waiting, praying, seeking, certainly with uncertainty with wonder, with questioning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, Acts 2.1. They didn't know the how, but they should have known the what. The what was the promise. They didn't know the how or the when, and sometimes that's the hardest part. We too know the what. Not that we need another Pentecost, that is our history, but we need the coming of the Spirit in a fresh way, the fresh outpouring. This is always meant to be the reality for God's people, that we would again experience the fresh filling and anointing of the Spirit to convict, to transform, to rest upon, and to call us again, to send us again to be his ambassadors, to be salt to the earth, giving flavor and richness, to bring light into the darkness this is our what in the what happens next for God's people always throughout the ages. Again, the how and the when are totally different questions. And that's what challenges us. And yet leads us to trust, leads us to hope, leads us to remain faithful, we pray. As we gather, it is meant to be, as it was for the early disciples, with expectation with anticipation, but without delineation. We don't define those terms, those ways, and we say, Holy Spirit, come, come again today in a new way. You are here, you are with us, we know that, and yet we're reminded that we must continually be filled by the Spirit. The Spirit first came as wind and fire. We know what happens when wind and fire come together. The day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. We paused and looked at that last week. We reflected on the power of the winds 
the flames, the destruction, that our world was both simultaneously and is burning and flooding, coming off the heels of Hurricane Ian, and we paused and reflected, praying both for those immediately affected, but also for the metaphor of the hurt and the burning that exists in our broader community, in our world. And we prayed into that and responded. And I believe God met us and will continue to inspire those prayers. The believers saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came upon them. I see this vision of a, a, a flame separating out, coming from heaven and separating out where fire and blaze often goes up. God is it's bringing it down to them. This is the image of what they saw and resting upon them. Perhaps shocking in the moment, but on reflection later, maybe not all that surprising as you consider the whole story of what God is doing and has done, again, imaged in fire and in smoke and in wind throughout the scriptures. These are ways that God's people, when writing figuratively or metaphorically, are trying to describe the power and, and the lack of ability to define who God is in terms that we might be able to, to grasp a little bit, but also throughout the story, God is imaged in light and in fire in an in actual way. His, his people experienced that. Jesus said in the famous John 3 account with Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's a power in the breath in the wind. The Hebrew and the Greek words translated spirit can often be translated just as easily as breath or as wind. The Hebrew ruha, which is on a poetic word, if, stumbling over that term, but you get what I mean. The ruach of God. We looked at Ezekiel 37 last week, the famous vision given to Ezekiel of the valley of dry bones. And the, the breath of God coming to breathe life. And, and if you read various English translations, you'll see them struggle with that same word that's used, ruha, throughout the passage, when to translate it as breath, and when to translate it as wind, and when to translate it as spirit. Because it's the same word used repeatedly. And even in the NIV, it's translated sometimes as breath and sometimes as spirit. It's an interesting exercise to go back and translate the one word used in the same passage as the same English word, which I think is the most faithful way to do it. But I understand that there's nuance to that. I have it in my text, but I don't think we need to read that again. The Spirit of God came to fill his people. It was a vision given to Ezekiel of, as we've been praying on and reflecting on this morning, something that looked absolutely lifeless, a valley of dry bones. There is no way. In fact, Ezekiel's response to God saying to him, do you believe that life can come again? And he says, God only knows, which I think is a nice way of saying, not a chance. There's no life here. And how often do we look into the death in our world, the hurt, the loss, the lifelessness, the despair, and say, not a chance. Not here, God. Maybe some other place, some other way, some other time, but not here. And the invitation to Ezekiel was to prophesy to the Spirit 
and say, Spirit, come and breathe new life. The Spirit came and restored the army in Ezekiel's vision. And at Pentecost, 3,000 were given new life that day through the power of the Holy Spirit, a relative army whose battle would not be against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers in the heavenly realms, as Paul would later describe. The breath of God, the Spirit of God, comes and descends and fills his people. This kind of imagery would have been so palpable and powerful for God's people who recognized that within the temple, as we've already reflected on this morning, the fire and the smoke rising up to God, representing both offerings and his presence, was now coming down to his people and resting upon them. It's a, it's a reversal. It's our worship goes up unto God, may it be pleasing unto him, now his people are gathered and assembled to pray, and his presence comes down to them. This is what God has been doing. He's been reversing the upside, this is the upside down kingdom. He's reversing the way we naturally think, that God is aloof and out there, and we must appease, we must bring something to him to, to get his attention. We must ritualize or pray the right way or offer the right offerings and God may respond and help or come or bless. And beginning in Jesus, Emmanuel, God comes to his people. He embodies. He is with us. When he dies upon the cross, the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. This massive curtain, this barrier between, in, within the temple between the holy place and the most holy. God's presence this isn't just access in, now all can come in, true. This is more access out. The Spirit of God is coming out of the temple into his world. And now, ultimately, as Jesus has ascended to heaven, the Spirit is now coming and filling all people. While Jesus came in one earthly body, the Spirit of God is now resting upon every believer. This is the reversal. This is God coming to be with his people, to dwell with them. It's a massive and powerful theme, vision, teen. He says, do you not know that, Paul picks up on it, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, he says, do you not know that you are now God's temple? The temple has become obsolete. That one, that place, it was a placeholder of God's presence. Now in Jesus and through the coming of the Spirit, you are the temple. Of Writing not just to the Corinthian church and the broad church, but to the whole church, the people of God, the followers of Jesus. You are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you, rests on you, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Powerful. Next, fire comes. Combine wind and fire, we know what happens. We're living in some of the effects of it day by day as this Bolt Creek fire continues to burn. Over a month of burning, smoldering. Bring the rains, Lord. Acts 2, 3. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Surprising and yet shouldn't have been surprising once they reflected on the history and the story of God and his presence, often symbolized through fire throughout. 
some of the, the, the snapshots of God's people coming to him, Moses coming to the burning bush that's not being consumed. That place is holy, meeting with God. The name Yahweh first given there to Moses, empowering and inspiring the redemption that was to come. Moses, a type figure of the coming Christ who would rescue and redeem all peoples out of slavery and bondage. Then the fire imagery that led God's people throughout the wilderness in their time of unknowing and uncertainty and wandering and longing for what is to come, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud or smoke by day, often descending and resting on Mount Sinai when Moses would meet. So the image of God, his presence reflected in fire and in smoke. And then in the temple, as we've already looked at, the ongoing burning in the altar and the lamp. Jesus would come and be called the light of the world, the lamp of the world, reflecting God's presence. So to see tongues like fire, light and fire, come and rest, though if we, we're trying to imagine it, is shocking because there's no anticipation of the how or the when. The what promise simply of the Spirit of God will come is theirs, but now they are seeing this vision or this image of fire resting upon them. The Apostle Paul, again, in Romans 8, 9, says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in us. This is the what. Historically, we have the how and the when. Today, as we seek, we both say what happens next, and we ask what's happening next, we're reminded of the same what. The how and the when of God's Spirit empowering is up to his prerogative. And so we wait, we trust, we hope, we walk. We know we have the Spirit if we have come unto Jesus, confessed our sins, primarily, what does the prophet Jeremiah say sin is? My people have committed two sins, two evils. They've rejected me, the source of living water, the fountain of life. That's number one. They've rejected the source of life. Second, they've dug out for themselves their own cisterns, different than a well that could be dug down into the reservoirs of water. A cistern would collect the rainwater. But God said, they've dug out their own cisterns, but they can hold no water. They've got cracks within them. They, it leaks out. These are the two evils. This is maybe the best picture, uh, I believe, of sin, of evil within the Scripture. Sometimes we attribute sins as these minor things that we do, these bad things we say or think or do, and not to neglect those things. Recognize sometimes their significance, but sin or evil in God's, in God's eyes is rejecting him as the source of all life, the source of all goodness and beauty, the deep reservoir, and in our own strength trying to replace him. That's the great sin. As we come and confess that sin within us unto Christ and draw near to him, that's repentance saying, God, help, help me walk with you and like you. Jesus showed us how to walk and to live. Simple, but not easy. So forever growing in that faith and that rhythm. 
as we do that, we are filled in the Spirit. We are filled by the Spirit. He fills us. We, we must believe this and know this. At times, I think we wonder, am I? Do we have the Spirit? Do I? God, where are you? I don't sense your presence. That's, we're talking about his manifest presence there. We believe in faith. We have his Spirit within us. And I believe you have evidences of that. But we are longing for more of his manifest presence, aren't we? To know, to experience, to see. I wonder if we miss some of his manifest presence and evidence by looking for this highly supernatural and unique. The things that throughout our history we should say, unbelievable. That may never happen again. So many things throughout God's story are one-off. Right? Jesus and Peter walked on the water. No one else throughout history has ever done that. That was a sign. It was a declaration. The Spirit of God comes and rests upon his people, and in that moment, they're all able to speak in various languages that they are unbeknown to them. So many different languages being spoken that it sounds like nonsense. Right? They're being accused of being drunk at nine in the morning. This sounds like babble. What is going on? Now, throughout the story, there's some other evidences of speaking other kinds of languages or tongues or even a, a heavenly language. But this seems to be a one-of-a-kind kind of event at Pentecost that we're not meant to recreate. But we long for the supernatural, don't we? We long for the signs that just God come and show up, do it again, and our faith will be secure forever. That's also not the story. People throughout history saw unbelievable things and chose to continue to reject, dismiss, and doubt. Jesus himself said, why are you asking for a sign? You have all of the signs of Moses. You have all of the declaration of the prophets of old. And you do not believe. Why will you believe this? Are we any different? And yet longing for the coming of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit at work. Two things that maybe we overlook, that at least according to this passage are evidences of the filling of the Spirit for God's people enduring throughout time. If that was a unique, one-of-a-time event, a sign, an extraordinary sign, we have enduring evidence of being people filled with the Spirit of God. One, oneness. Two, witness. Oneness and witness. The prophet Joel foretold of this day. Peter quotes that. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Hear oneness throughout this ancient prophecy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Oneness, sons and daughters, men and women, old and young, Slaves and free, which is like saying poor and rich, the lowest of society to the highest, the insignificant and the powerful, they will all be filled with the Spirit of God, experience the supernatural, and prophesy and make God known, reveal who he is. If we have the Spirit of God in us as a people, one of the primary evidences will be oneness, will be unity will be equity, will be justice, will be empowering, 
and giving voice to the often silenced. This will be an enduring sign in the midst of a divided and hostile world of the coming power of the Spirit of God. It's amazing and tragic that we still restrict the voice and the ministry of so many people 2,000 years later from this event. Historically, primarily, those of lower social status, the poor, the immigrant, women, the youth, elderly, all historically silenced and marginalized, creating a hierarchy of who and when certain people can exercise the gifts of the Spirit. The coming of the Spirit to this church at this time on Pentecost was not for their salvation. It was for their ministry to empower their witness. These were already believers, certainly struggling with faith and belief as we all do, but followers of Jesus, faithful ones. The coming of the Spirit was not their salvation. They were saved people. The coming of the Spirit was to empower them for ministry, all of them. And Peter got it. At this point, he stumbles later. <laughs> the sons and the daughters, the old and the young, the rich and the poor, men and women, slaves and free. This is what was prophesied. This is the picture of God's kingdom, and it's coming to our reality now, in our midst. All these walls of division and hostility and hierarchy being broken down. God's spirit shows no partiality. He's empowering all. This extends to the ethnic minorities and immigrants and refugees. Acts 2.5, there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout Jews from every nation under heaven. Throughout the history of the Jewish people, there was a lot of turmoil. At times, foreign armies and empires came Destroyed Jerusalem, took into exile over again and again throughout their history. So for hundreds of years, people that could trace their Jewish heritage and lineage had often been living in foreign lands for centuries and maybe looked just like the locals, but would trace their heritage back to their Jewish roots. And these would be some of the ones who were returning to Jerusalem, maybe for the, the Feast of Weeks, maybe to live, but speaking various languages, having various cultures of their own. These are the immigrants or refugees coming back into the city. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome. Jews and converts to Judaism. So within that, some that couldn't trace their roots to Judaism, but have come to be believers in the Jewish God, Yahweh. And this first sign that comes to God's people for oneness is that all could hear the gospel in their own tongue. That all would hear. No distinction. The walls have been broken down. 
This is the primary purpose of every work of the Holy Spirit. Not only, primary. The primary purpose of every work of the Holy Spirit is to make God known, to reveal who he is in a greater way. Paul's consistent prayer for the church, for any church that he was a part of, the church that he planted in Ephesus, he wrote to them, Ephesus 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you may know him better. This is one of my most consistent prayers for you, for the broader church. If we need anything, we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know God more. We know, when we know his heart and his character, it can transform anything. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 and says, Therefore remember that you, formerly who were Gentiles by birth, non-Jews, you ethnic ones, is the literal Greek term, ethnos, called uncircumcised. That was a slur from Jews to Gentiles. You're the uncircumcised ones. You're the others. You're not welcome in. Remember, Paul says, writing to many who are not Jews by heritage, at one time, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, Jews and non-Jews, one in Christ. He has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. Paul would say in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek now. There's neither slave nor free. There's not male nor female. You are all one in Christ if you belong to Christ. You're Abraham's seed. You're heirs according to that promise. Oneness, unity, equity, peace in Christ is the enduring evidence of God's people being filled with his spirit. If that is absent, we must question if we are living in the power of the spirit or have even received his spirit within us. This is the picture, now fast forward, so it's our history. Joel, 2,700 years ago. Peter affirming it 2,000 years ago. The Apostle John pointing us to a day that is still yet to come through his vision of God's eternal kingdom in the book of Revelation. Here's what it will look like. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, from all peoples, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God, all clothed in white, Unified, pure, considered holy, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice. Don't you love that? A multitude beyond what could be numbered from every language under heaven. So still God's picture of eternal kingdom is uniqueness, is diversity, but no division. From all of that diversity in various language, they are calling out with one voice, is that a unified heavenly language or is it something like what happened on Pentecost 
or unbeknownst to all peoples is unity because we are gathered around the one who unifies. And unto him, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Pentecost was a small foretaste of the coming eternal kingdom, meant to be a picture, an enduring picture of who God's people are meant to be always. God-given unity amidst diversity, distinct but not divided. We don't worship a tribal deity. We worship the God and creator and savior of all peoples who loves everyone dearly, equally, some have called Pentecost a reversal of what happened at Babel or Babel, Genesis 11, following the flood. God's people were unified and turned from him once again to build up their own name, to build a tower under, uh, unto the heavens, greater, basically a greater work than has ever been seen in the history of the world. We will do it. This intense pride in their own abilities not that advancements in tall buildings are a bad thing, but in the power and the ability given from God the Spirit alone, these people had turned into their own power. At Babel, they built up a tower to reach to the heavens, to seek to elevate their own name. At Pentecost, all things were leveled. At Pentecost, the name of Christ is elevated. At Babel, Everyone became unable to understand. Their languages became divided. At Pentecost, everyone can hear and understand. Their language is becoming unified. At Babel, there's a division and a scattering from that place unto the ends of the earth. At Pentecost, God is assembling and gathering a people who then will send a message of hope and healing to the ends of the earth. It stands as this picture of unity and oneness. And we're meant to resonate with that. And it should be pretty easy to resonate with it in a city like Redmond. Over 40 primary languages spoken on Union Hill alone within households. How many can you name? They are your neighbors. If we use modern geographic terms for that list of ethnicities that we've heard read now a couple times... Let me read it in modern geographic terms. In those days, dwelling in Redmond were men and women from every nation under heaven. Persians and Kurds, Iranians and Moroccans, and Ethiopians too. Middle Eastern, from Asia, from Arabia. Yes and yes. Which leads us to the second evidence. You've been waiting for that. We've been hinting at it throughout. They're, they're woven together. Oneness and witness. The second evidence of the Spirit being with his people will be witness to who he is, to who God is. Testimony and faithfulness to make him known. The Spirit of God rests on his people primarily to make him known. This is our call and this is our ministry. Not that the Spirit of God will not bring us personally an indwelling sense of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. 
But I think sometimes we can major on what God is going to do for me in our hyper-individualistic society and miss that his primary work is to make himself known. That we would be witnesses of him and who he is. The evidences of the fruit of the Spirit should be powerful signs unto a world. I'll return and end with that thought. But the primary work of the empowering of the Spirit is to make God known. And in oneness with our witness, these become enduring signs and evidences. Jesus said in a slightly different context, Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, amidst wolves, be as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. Just one of the calls or commissions God gives to his people. Hey, the world is harsh out there. Be shrewd and discerning and be gentle and be faithful. But go, you're being sent. Now, for some, that means an actual call to move, to go across oceans. For others, it means you're already sent into your workplace, into your neighborhoods, into your schools, into your community, into social media. You are already sent ones. Be shrewd, discerning, be wise, be gentle. And do not be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in the hour. We often stop, don't we, in our witness? What do I say here? to this friend, to this neighbor, to this social media post? How do I witness Christ? What do I say? Do not be anxious. At the time, you'll be given what is need to be said. And my practice is, if I don't know what to say, and I come back to this, Lord, help me, I I believe in this promise, and I still don't know what to say, my response is silence. I won't say, because in the hour, I will be given what is needed. And our world could use a whole lot more silence. Holy Spirit, speak. As you start to learn to discern his voice, there'll be times where you'll know that what is to be said is not what you would have naturally said. And that's likely an indication that the Spirit is giving you what is needed in the moment. Now, we do know the gospel generally. We may not know specifically, what do I say to this moment, to this question, to this challenge to this person hurting and in need. But generally, we know the message of the gospel. The gospel is always needed. The gospel, again, of oneness, of unity, equity, justice, hope, peace, empowerment, freedom, life, grace for all peoples. This is God's kingdom. And that's needed forever and always. It should never get old. In the time and the place that we live in this culture, in the midst of what I think most of us would describe as the most divided or hostile or uncertain as we've ever experienced socially, politically, religious, racial, the message of oneness and equity and justice is not just good news, it's incredible news. It's like balm for those trapped in Fear and anxiety and worry. 
It can seem impossible considering this hostility that exists. It's too, too idealistic. What hope is there? But not for Jesus. He died for it. He rose again for it. He sent the Holy Spirit for it. There's another hint in this passage for how we become powerful and effective witnesses. Jesus said, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Be present, be faithful. The Spirit will work with you and through you to be a non-anxious presence in the midst of this time may be what is needed most of all and may, may be one of the greatest evidences of the Spirit with us in this time. We need the Spirit's filling today, again, moment by moment. God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do we say yes and amen to that? May it be, Lord, as we receive again your Spirit. Let's end with this. We prophesy to the Spirit, come. And in keeping with the fruit of the Spirit, if you resonate with this statement, whether you can say it out loud, amen, or yes, Lord, or you can just pray that inwardly as we respond, may this be our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Bring life where there is death. Bring hope where there is despair. Bring love where there is hate. Bring joy where there is sorrow. Bring peace where there is anxiety. Bring your patience where there is agitation. Bring kindness where there is bigotry. Bring goodness where there is self-righteousness. Bring faithfulness where there is selfish ambition. Bring gentleness where there is harshness. Bring self-control where there is hostility. Holy Spirit, come, we pray.